Hello, welcome to MySpot Talks. I'm Chetan Shah, hosting a series of podcasts for the global events industry. In this extended talk session, the HPAA talk beyond the 4th of July. Um, okay, well, everybody, welcome and thank you very much. Uh, I am Cameron Delieto, editor of CNIT magazine. Uh, this is the HPAA panel, um, all about kind of what lies ahead for the industry and what business actions need to be considered to kind of help it thrive, really. Um, we have a number of different panelists and I'll let you guys introduce yourself, uh, starting with Sean. No problem. So my name's Sean. I see a lot of names that I recognize. So hello, everybody. Um, I head up the commercial partnerships and projects team at Intel, which oversees all of our commercial relationships for across all sectors. So travel, accommodation, events, basically anything that we buy on behalf of our clients sits with my team. So that's me and I've been at Intel for 16 years. So learn a fair bit while I'm there. You don't look like you could have been, been at oh. Intel for 16 years. No. That's very sweet. Um, Angie, and over to you. Um, yep, for those that uh, um, I've not met or haven't met me yet, I've been in this industry now way too long. Uh, started my first venue finding agency uh, 30 years ago. Um, been involved with HBAA for, well, since the beginning, which is 20 odd, 23 years ago. Now chairman at Absolute Corporate Events. Um, so very much looking forward to finding out uh, what everybody's views are uh, on the current situation and how to get out of it, essentially. And finally, Lex. Hi. Um, for those that don't know me, I'm Lex Butler. I'm founder and director of Wolf & White, which is a brand engagement agency. Um, I've been in the industry for about 19 years, which definitely shows Angie's age because she's my mother. Um, and I'm also the current chair of HBAA. What a great way to throw your own mother under the bus. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Um, well, that was that was good. And I, I guess to start off, I mean, let's let's uh, let's try and answer the question very, very briefly, uh, which is the title of this session. And it is what lies ahead. So um, I'd be interested to hear, you know, before we explore it further and deep dive into the intricacies of it. What, for you, uh, does the future of the events industry look like? Um, let's go, let's, let's start with Angie. Uh, I think trumping everybody on the age front, um, and I have been through three major world events stroke recessions. Um, so I'm going to be the optimist. And to be fair, I think everybody can write off 2020. Um, we're going to learn an awful lot. But going forward, in all fairness, I think it's going to take a little time, but we will all recover. Um, from an ACE point of view, um, I know, you know, like many people, there's not much, if anything, left on the books for this year. But next year is already looking, you know, reasonable. We've got inquiries coming in. We've got business on the books. Um, that's where we are. So I'll wait for your deep dive later, Callum. Excellent. And, uh, and Sean? I agree with Andy. I think that that there was. I think we saw two very clear-cut opinions come through, and I've seen a lot of it on social media of the the very very optimistic people that think this is going to be fine by quarter four this year. And you know, I I don't think that. I actually think it's going to take a lot longer to fully recover. And I think we're going to be in where we are now in twelve months' time, where I think we'll be 
starting to see a bit of a level off, especially in domestic accommodation and small meetings. I think larger events, potentially even longer. And it very much depends on how they can be accommodated and how we can get confidence back in the market. Anything that's connected to travel, and that's obviously a big area for us, which I know we're not talking about today, but it has a knock-on effect to everything we do as an industry as well. If people can't get to places, that's a problem. So it's all of that that we need to consider as well, not just going to a hotel or a venue for a meeting anymore. It's everything else that comes before it. So I think we'll get there, but I don't think it's going to be very easy. So you're saying this time next year, is that right? For, I think, for domestic accommodation, for, for rail, for, for, for logistics to start, you know, coming back to maybe pre-COVID times, I don't think that's out of the realms of possibility, but I think there are certain industries and certain elements of the event side that we, we live and breathe that won't be back to normal by then. And so I'm more middle of the road. Than I, Andy, maybe. I, I'd say sort of possibly more to the negative side. Maybe. So you've got <laughs> Angie's very positive. Sean, you're you're around here. And Lex, where about on the spectrum are you? Um, I'm probably similar to Sean. I think the industry has a really long recovery ahead um, to become what it was, not to kick off and start again, but to become what it was is a very long journey ahead. Um, you know, we, we are going to go into it in more depth, but there is a very clear path needed to 100% confidence. And that confidence has to be in from buyer all the way through to attendee. It doesn't matter if you've got a confident buyer but if the attendees don't want to go. So there's a whole path of confidence that needs to be created um, and governance to be looked at. And obviously from domestic to international, um, I think meetings will take longer than events because obviously businesses have suffered financially, they've found tools they can use, whereas events are classed as something that you can't really do online. You know, that engagement, that celebration, that networking, they really they won't disappear and they will come back. Um, I know, though, as an industry that we're just champions in innovation. You know, that is what our day to day job is, is to create the new thing for our clients, to create better ways to engage. So I am excited about it. I think we're being forced to look at how we can engage better. I think the future is going to be tech heavy because to stop that human contact. Um, but going back to timelines, I think you're going to be looking at Q2, Q3 next year before we see any significant um, ideas ideas of event bookings um lee it's quite exciting because you you jumped in just in time to uh firstly introduce yourself and uh secondly to give just a very short uh summary of what you predict for the future of the events industry or mm, or not <laughs> can you hear us lee Currently not. No. Um, okay. Well, I will say that she said something kind of similar to you guys. Actually, she she agreed with a lot of a lot of what you both said, um, and we'll pretend that that was that was what she said there. Um, Lex, you mentioned confidence, and I think that's a good place to start. Actually. Um, also, can I just say, everybody on chat, please do get involved regularly. So I see there that Louise has said it depends where we get the vaccine. Um, and I imagine that's that is true, um, but I guess you know you're you're still probably looking at that Q two Q three mark for kind of that the normal to kick in. But from the sounds of it, from Lex and Sean, um, 
so oh, can, can i just can i just jump back in a minute because again i'm it, um experience tells me i'm very happy to be proven wrong but currently everybody's sort of dealing with stuff that they don't know how to deal with on a, on a national basis and we're being led by uh the science but ultimately you know things are moving quite quickly and as things start to open up people will start to remember um and they will start to also forget and get used to life being a bit more normal so the speed at which things are changing at the moment and the hotels and venues are getting their act together regarding the you know reopenings um my, my own feeling is that you know people will start to gain confidence in in life getting back to a, a bit more normal especially when the pubs and bars and restaurants open and rightly or wrongly you know that the big worry i don't think the vaccine will be the big um goal because you know again if we look back at mares and sars they they literally disappeared after a couple of years um so you know and i understand why people are hanging their hat on the the, the need for a vaccine right now but personally i don't think that's going to be the uh the thing that relieves the tension and i mean if you look at um you know the things that are like zoos have, have just opened up already right and uh there are things that are, are planning to open i mean you know you've even got drive-in cinemas that are opening and, you know, surely they could be used in an event context as well, you know, uh, stand up and, and films and, and all sorts of being shown in these drive through cinemas. So why not an award ceremony, for example, or, or something like that? So um, I personally, I'm, I'm probably on the side of optimism as well, along with, with Angie there. Um, Lee is back again. Can you hear us this time, Lee? I can. Ah, oh, the suspense. You've been playing with our emotions. I'll tell you what, I'm a, as you know, I'm a big advocate in this industry about mental health and well-being, and mine is going through the roof right now by trying to uh, join this. Well, we have you now. Yes, good. Um, so would you like to just uh, briefly contribute to the uh, the future, what, what the future looks like for the industry, um, and maybe where you are on the spectrum of, of, of you know, optimism versus pessimism? Yeah, I think, you know, as an industry, we're um, evolving at the moment in terms of getting ready to what the opening looks like in whatever capacity. Um, I do think that speaking to venues, but also working with agencies as well, is that the optimism really is is based upon kind of the, the progress of, of the, the situation. And as Angie alluded to, in terms of a vaccination, but, you know, we as an industry are incredibly creative and in looking at doing things differently and being able to support running events or running meetings as well we're doing right now yes we're having a meeting but it will never take place and, and overrun kind of shoulder to shoulder this is face to face right now but there's always that need of shoulder to shoulder and with the social distancing rules that are in place at the moment we desperately need them to be reviewed in terms of kind of the two meters review reducing that down to 1.5 when it's safe as well for us to be able to kickstart our industry but kickstart the economy as well but i think you know there's there's optimism in in some and green shoots with hotels opening but as we all know you know hotels and venues opening will not be in the same capacity um anytime soon but you know we're all working striving to building that consumer confidence and, and planning for the future as well yeah i mean rachel's raised a good point uh she said until the government give us the go-ahead to allow more people to meet we cannot give confidence to clients to start booking events i think the, the problem with uh you know with with the government 
and, and, and loosening restrictions or, or, or whatever they do is there's not much of a buildup. You know, it's usually next week you will be able to, you know, have 50 people or more in a room or, or you know, so they're not really giving much notice. Um, and so obviously in this industry where people are booking potentially a couple of months to a couple of years in advance, um, it's, you know, it's not really helpful, uh, I guess, um, having that kind of last minute. Oh, by the way, yeah, we're open now. Um, but sort of coming back to that confidence aspect, um, when you are either... I guess we've got sort of a number of different sort of sides here, but, you know, when it comes to events and, and your clients, you know, what is the confidence looking like? You know, Angie, you mentioned that you've already got some uh, bookings for, for 2021. Um, does the confidence seem to be that they can start looking at booking some events? Well, it, it is. I mean, from, from our perspective and again obviously i can't speak for everybody but you know some of our events are, are annual um and sure they've been moved out of this year into next year but you know the clients seem really happy to be able to sort of carry on um and you know take the process forward as, as they would normally uh not too many brand new inquiries but the events that are you know are, are moving uh certainly look like they're, they're planning on going ahead yeah, so I don't, what I was saying earlier on, I don't, you know, I, I, I think there's an expectation. Uh, who's typing? <laughs> They're typing. Um, I think there's an expectation that things will actually get back to normal. There's, you know, at the moment we're in this area where, as you said, you know, we're getting little notice about when things will change. Um, and once things start to open up more and more, I think people will, will become a little bit more relaxed. Um, so looking into next year, I think people are wondering what we're going to be talking about this time next year. Yeah, and actually that's something that, uh, that Chris uh, sort of echoes there where he's saying the whole situation will be a distant memory. I, I hope so. I really do. Um, Becky raised a point that was quite good that talks about, you know, obviously it depends on the sector and the nature of the business. You know, you're going to have some businesses whose, you know, live live events, uh, you know, income and revenue stream was, was a, a massive proportion of their of their you know overall uh, financial turnover so they're going to be very very keen to get live events back back in um but obviously that's talking about client confidence but as you said there uh, i think it was lex um around you know the whole journey of confidence because firstly you need to get um you know the client confident then obviously the venues need to be uh, confident that they can deliver um, and then you need the delegates to be confident that they actually want to go to an event so maybe let's explore those other two steps and, and when it comes to venues what um you know when you are getting inquiries if you are getting inquiries are, are you kind of having conversations with venues where they say yeah that's fine we can deliver that or is it sort of a bit more nervousness around committing can I cover, I just want to quickly cover back to not some basics, but obviously everyone has very different opinions on we're just going to go back to normal or as soon as someone's confident in it, they're going to, they're going to start doing events or it's going to start, the bookings are going to come. And I'm, I'm a bit more pragmatic. I look at it as a journey from A to Z. It comes from the top. So it has to come from government. Just because they say something opens doesn't mean multi-million pound global companies are going to say the government said it's open, let's go. You know, absolutely corporate companies have protocols and their own governance to look at. They have the due diligence and duty of care of their own 
own employees, their, their supply chain, their consumers. So they're not going to suddenly go, okay, let's let's just you know throw it to the wind and let's have events and meetings. They're going to think their legal teams, their PR teams, their financial teams, everyone's involved looking at, we need to rewrite process. We need to rewrite travel policy. We need to rewrite our health and safety and risk assessments. We have to do X, Y, Z. And that comes when they're then confident in what governments are telling them that they can do. What's legal uh, prerequisites? So corporates have a lot to do and a lot on their plate before they can just start throwing emails and making bookings for events it's not just because people will forget it and suddenly feel comfortable you know you could have a whole sea of consumers saying i want to go to a festival i i want to go and see this eyebrow um, pen launched in the shopping market just because consumers want it you know that is one part of confidence you have to have desire from an audience for an event to be successful they want to leave they have to want to leave their house you have to start at the top and that's government and then it's corporate governance of who's running these events the buyers are they allowed to what do, what's their new policies so uh, those are for me are more important than whether my client has an inkling they want to do it you know my event manager or head of events is being dictated to by a board of directors or a public stock exchange you know their their shareholders so there's a lot more that a lot of corporates have to do before a booker can say i want to book um, but going back to um venues and how impressed i am with our industry is the technology that's coming in from like you know it's been around for a bit but like that touch free you can check in on an app you can get your room key on an app um, people are i've seen videos of hotels launching their properties and they've redesigned in terms of interior design to make it socially social distancing applicable but you wouldn't know to look at it it looks phenomenal but so they've done it subtly within their design so i think technology in rooms there's a voice pro who have launched alexa style um um, communications in rooms where you don't have to touch anything but you can order food you could play music play your tv um, you know the hotels are working tirelessly to think of good solutions that are going to be attractive safe um, and so everyone's working really hard and so that confidence we've had so many manifestos from um, properties and hotel chains to clearly explain to us what they've done um, to make our audience our buyers and their um, audience safe. Um, so I've been really impressed with how the industry's already turned and pivoted and delivered phenomenal solutions um, to how to give us confidence to then give our buyers confidence. Um, obviously, government is 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 one of the few things that are. <laughs> Lee's contribution is is making me chuckle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just a, a quick glimpse of her trainer there, just just in case we didn't know what she was wearing. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm wearing slippers, so I can't say anything. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, the, the the issue obviously with government is obviously you know as an industry as a whole, we can we can lobby as much as possible. Um, but the, the the bits the the you know the cogs of the machine that we can control uh, within the industry, as you said, you know, seeing how the hotels and venues are innovating and, and adopting technology to kind of help increase that confidence is certainly one aspect. Um, what is that demand looking like though? You know, is, is hybrid or digital or what are those solutions potentially could they be permanent? Because, you know, the demand would be say so strong now, that 
maybe in a year's time they think you know what actually we don't need to do a big thousand person conference let's 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 do what we did last year because it worked well anyone want to lead with that i think i mean danny's i've just noticed in the chats danny's danny's mentioned it and this is what it's going to come down to it, it is going to be about the roi and that's going to be vitally important even more than it was before as if that if that event cost ten thousand pounds but now there's a solution that it costs five thousand pounds but they can still deliver the same roi then that's going to be the consideration and every question is going to be have three different possible scenarios and every budget is going to be scrutinized to see whether or not actually necessary and what why are we doing it and the, the first question we're asking why are we doing the event in the first place because if the answer isn't there now even more so it's going to be no we're not but doing are, it are there is it is it, i mean because my gut is that that you know you, if you boil it down to a very simple uh you know cost base yes it would seem that a digital event is cheaper and gets the same you know d d deliverables but there there is so many different intangibles to a live event and how then can we kind of turn that into data you know for example those relationships that are built that are you know go beyond any kind of digital networking or um you know the the, the potential client wins if it's a sales conference or something like that what how do you really kind of show the roi of those more intangible aspects to a live event lex i can see you nodding yeah well no it's i agree i I don't think, you know, I do a lot more events than I do meetings. Um, and so, and in my head, I can see the rationalization for meetings being kept in a digital world via, you know, corporates are incorporating Teams or Zoom um, or, or just WebEx into their systems. And they've realized for multiple reasons, whether it is um, climate change, you know, they've suddenly reduced that as a business. They don't have um, salespeople or people traveling to events. They don't have wasted food. There's, there's a finance side. So I think meetings as a category, we're going to see a decline in them becoming face to face because a meeting is just a gathering to discuss and to share knowledge. Whereas an event will have a have a very um, strict set of ROIs and what they want to try and achieve in it. And so you, it's very hard to do that online. Um, so I think meetings will see a decline, but events will come back. And that's how where our kind of creativity in how and hotel solutions. Um, I have a vision of hotels having, you know, they've already sent out new layouts for their meeting rooms because capacities have changed. But I see hotels investing in technology between their meeting rooms. So one, one company can have multiple rooms the same speakers and all shared via the rooms because people still want to get out you know you don't have to have limitations by the walls um, I personally have just delivered an event um, for 800 on Sunday uh, with a system that claimed to do 50 breakout rooms etc when it goes to 200 and the breakout rooms failed and that this is a, a platform that claims to be able to do that and that this could have swayed a client to continue to do these events which they do multiple times a year in this fashion and I'm secretly pleased it failed because ultimately it's an event that should be done face to face um, so I think hybrid and Chris, you've said it, I can see virtual isn't cheap. It's not. Um, and hybrid isn't cheap either. But hybrid will be a solution for the space that we need, not necessarily. Um, and to counteract that kind of climate change as well um, and your footprint, because I think people start sending tiers of people. So a certain tier will go to the live event and then certain other tiers will have 
will join by video link in their conference rooms at the offices, for example. I think, but I also am an optimist to say maybe a year, two years time, things will be much more reduced that people just go back to normal. Um, yeah, I'll stop talking now. <laughs> no, no, I think I think that's that's a good point, Angie. I mean, you you uh, coming back to some of the bookies that you've talked about. What what do they you know without giving away too much information about them? But what do they look like in terms of how they will be structured? The type of numbers, you know, what what have they? What's the spec been for those? In all honesty, for next year, nothing has changed. So we're not, except for one, actually the, the one client, um, and we're looking at maybe quarter one. Interestingly, they have said, because, you know, you go back and you say, would you like it done this way? We can do it this way and give you all the options in all the distancing. And would you like it virtual? They've absolutely declined virtual, quote, unquote, we are a meeting. We, we, we are a face-to-face -face company. So if we can't do it face-to-face, -face, we'd rather not do it. So there are so many answers to all the questions. Um, and going back to the ROI, I mean, you will know from last year, it turned into ROE. It turned on to, you know, return on experience for the delegates rather than return on investment. Um, so that in itself tells you that, you know, people are getting more out, the, the corporates are getting more out um, of the the experience that their people are having attending their events. Um, and it's the way the world is now with social media and what people, they want the personalization. Um, they want to see an investment in themselves in, in what they achieve when they go to their events. So, it, you know, there isn't one answer to all these, these questions. It's all a bit of everything. I, I do firmly believe though, you know, in the immediate future, everybody's having to adapt. And, you know, if the government said tomorrow, OK, we're going to go down to one metre social distancing, the whole thing would reset again. So we're all doing what we need to do and have to do right here and right now. But for me personally, I, I just think it will all be pretty much business as usual after middle of next year. So Emma, Emma's raised a really interesting point about the kind of perception of events, especially amid the kind of environment of redundancies and, you know, uh, I would say every business in every sector has been hit pretty hard uh, on their bottom line. Um, and, you know, sometimes events can look like, and not that they are, but they can look like from an external point of view that it's just one big jolly or, you know, it's an expense or it's, it's, it's whatever. So uh, pulling the, the coronavirus stuff to the side, um, but looking at it purely on, on perceptions, do, do you think that that's going to, one, impact the, the hunger for events, but two, also maybe the budgets? And that are, are we going to see, you know, events come back, but with a, a much smaller budget uh, because of this? Budgets, uh, yeah, so budgets for me, I think, um, I don't, the only reason budgets are going to change right now is something that I realised early on is, there isn't really been an industry that hasn't been impacted by this. Um, you know, whether it's um, global corporates where their factories shut down, you know, but you, you just have to look at the, the stock exchange and also um, the furlough figures by government to see that every industry was impacted. Obviously, there's a few that kind of un unexpectedly thrived, whether it's food manufacturing or technology or legal and financial. Um, but most of them have really suffered. And so what I've seen is they have some of my clients have just said no more money for events for the rest of this year, no more global travel for the rest of this year. Um, and that's not because of necessarily their thinking of this social distancing and the inability to hold events. It's the money. They're trying to recoup money 
urgently back into their business. So budgets will come back, but right now industry has suffered. Even automotive haven't sold cars. No one's on the roads. Um, you know, it's everyone's trying to recoup. So I'm going to see and predict that budgets are going to decline for the short term until they have invested their money back into where they need to grow. Now, there's going to be some industry where they thrive only based on events. You know, the, the way that they drive sales is via events, um, whether B2B or B2C. So maybe they decide that the, their investment is in events to recoup and, and grow back again. But a lot of people are going to say, no, events are last on the ladder. Um, let's kind of build our bricks again and then we'll go back to giving your department some money for events. Um, so I like most recessions, I just see people spending less for a little bit until they've um, built back up again. Yeah. Um and uh, either of you want to add to that? Sorry, Sean, Angie? No, well, historically, um, as I said earlier, bang on the three recession drum. Historically, what goes first um, and takes long to come back is travel mm -hmm. and events. And that's the, that's the, and training. Um, that's the easiest place to make savings, whether it's right or wrong is, um, no, I think to be debated. I think so. We've seen it because we, we tend to do less on the event side, but more on the much smaller meetings, domestic accommodation. And travel um the travel side is going to be the biggest piece for us that is going to take longer to come back without a doubt and if you look at the figures that are coming through from ir so they're not expecting the airline industry to recover until post 2023 now that's in in its own little sector but that has a knock-on effect like i was saying earlier to what happens with global events and international travel so what i see i think will happen is perhaps you'd have an event in a in a, a, a location say london that anyone local then would attend in the venue perhaps but it, whereas before you'd have had delegates flying in from all sorts of other countries they will join virtually so you might do it localized or there might be variations of that theme because the confidence in the travel isn't there and won't be there for a longer time we've already seen it with clients that are asking for much more pre-trip approval clients that didn't really it didn't matter, it wasn't a problem before, have already started for when that starts to come back, going, no, we need to know about this, we need to know about this, we need to know about this. And I think that's going to be really common moving forward. And I think it will move into the, the accommodation and the small meeting side to, an, to, to some extent for authorization and approvals for any spend. Yeah, it's 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 to, so just quickly to reply to Angie and then I'll come back to you, Sean. That, you know, I think there's, there's a frustration um, where you say, you know, travel events and training are usually the first to go, you know, in, in when companies are hit hard. And and Louise, the, somewhere in the chat, mentioned about uh, company culture uh, not being able to be sustained through virtual. And I think I think this is the problem, isn't it? Is there, it, and it comes back to those, you know, untangibles that I, that I mentioned uh, earlier, that businesses are going to suffer if they do disregard events because they're going to, Un, they're not going to understand the values that they're they're cutting out um and you know without culture you 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 get a disjointed organization uh you're you're, you're going to lose talent talent is going to move because they're not going to feel that they have any kind of alignment to their company and then you know that that in itself is is, is going to cost uh even more money um but but just sean talking there and i think this this ties into something else i wanted to explore was was terms and conditions um, and how this is going to be impacted in every aspect. So, you know, uh, travel, accommodation, venues, um, even clients working with agencies. Like, 
how is this all going to change and is it going to be a, a kind of a, a short-term change or is this going to be a permanent change in how contracts are signed when it comes around to events so Sean maybe to start with you um, I think terms and conditions if they are changed will change permanently I think when you start making changes to legal clauses and inputting it, things into terms and conditions it's almost impossible to take them back out so I think to be honest once they're in they're in so I think we should be expecting from a venue and an agent and this will be venues with their contracts with clients and us as agents with our contracts with our clients we should expect to see change and we should be looking at it we should be auditing those contracts and making sure that this there's no risk there and I don't mean the, the risk that the client's going to go somewhere else or choose another venue that whether you're a venue or an agent you have protected your business as much as you can because a lot of people and I've seen stories of you know unfair contracts frustration causes all of this trying to come into play but actually if you if you do the due diligence on the contracts at the front end and work together and that is where it's really key it's the collaboration because the point of a contract is it should be fair for both parties so work to make it fair because if there's a clause in there you can move on move on it but make sure you protect yourselves that would be my advice to anyone it doesn't matter what business you're in protect this because there's a lot of people that didn't it's it's quite difficult though because you've got two two almost contradicting risks in some instances so if if i'm thinking about an event planner booking a venue right um some of the risks that will will be on the horizon are the fact that you know maybe the event just can't run uh, because of government legislation but also it's you know coming back to that confidence with delegates what if what if all your delegates just don't turn up you know only 20 people out of a, a hundred turn up or something like that this is going to really impact the event um and you might know this within a couple of days so the venue doesn't want to lose the money because well what, what are they going to do but the event planner having only 20 people there that's going to suffer as well so Lex what are your thoughts on that um I, similar to Sean's really I think everyone has learned some really tough lessons through this time when it's come to contracting um one of the things that I hope that is going to come out of this is that mutually beneficial working together on mutually beneficial contracts because all I've seen is people fighting tooth and nail to get every penny back um, for clients okay so at the end of the day it's for the end client it's um, and actually that leaves two parties without anything you know if, if you're successful and you get all your money back for your client the venue is left with nothing and actually as a venue booker you're left with nothing unless you've negotiated to charge for managing the cancellation process now some of us have spent weeks on negotiating one booking um <laughs> he has an opinion is that your cat um <laughs> Um, he can't, he goes next. Um, so ultimately, and it's been heartbreaking to see agents working so hard while having no income to look after their clients and, and try and get their clients as much money as possible. And then the venue loses out because if they do, you know, I say give in, like say, okay, we'll give it all back. And the agent ends up with nothing as well. So what I want to see in the future is mutual, a contract that offers all parties in these scenarios um, 
equal share of what they deserve for the work put in. Um, you know, I've seen now too many force majeure clauses which are just wishy-washy. There's nothing to them. Doesn't give you any direction of who would share responsibility. Doesn't give you any direction of what if there's an attrition on the time scale of force majeure to the, the time of your event. You know, is this happening six months before your event or is it just happened two weeks before? You know, then we should have attrition responsibility under force majeure um, clauses. So I just hope that everybody takes notice of what they're looking at, that venues take care and consideration in their contracts now that they're sending out. Um, I know HBA is working on some with their code of practice in terms of business to support both parties, um, so that they can have much more mutually beneficial clauses that supports everybody. So it's very similar to Sean. I want to see people really taking note of their contracts in the future, making sure everyone's looked after. It's 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 probably uh, a necessary exercise that that probably should have happened, you know, quite a few years ago. Um, and it, it takes something like this for for it to you know come to the forefront of people's minds. Um, yeah, sorry about the cat contributing to the conversation there. Um, right. Doesn't know what he's Can talking I was about. I'm just going to add to Lex. As agents, you know, we also have a job to educate our clients into the change in that because the pushback will come from that side as well, and we need to be speaking to our corporate clients and and be be working together with our venues and our suppliers coming at it from the same page really to go this is why we're doing this so I think there's a big massive education piece about contracts and collaboration across our industry because it's probably one of the only industries where you see this type of business take place um, and I do think we're a little bit behind the times with, with some of those things and some of those the way that we work as an industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree wholly with, with both of you. You know, it's been really difficult over the past couple of months and there's been some really, uh, some people have really suffered through it. And naturally, you know, people have, have tried to protect themselves, both from a contract point of view and a finance point of view. But going forward, you know, there are still going to be some rubbish contracts and there are going to be some great ones, but hopefully we can all be a bit more flexible um, and, and get something together that does allow for give some wiggle room and when something goes wrong you know it's not finger pointing it's actually how can, how can we best work together um to do this and as Lex said HBA is in, in, right in the throes of putting uh, best practice together for that so I look forward to to seeing that progress um because it, it, it's definitely it's it's vital really uh so it, it'll be key to, to see how that goes um with the postponements um I see a few people kind of talking about postponements there um Oh, one thing I'm interested in is, is, you know, do you think there's going to be a, a massive bottleneck um, of, of events that have been postponed clashing with events that were already booked uh, for potentially sort of Q1, for example, 2021? Um, and uh, what Pat has just uh, mentioned there with postponement is, you know, the revenue stays with the venue, but the agent doesn't get it until the event goes live. So obviously as events get pushed back, um, you know, the agents are still suffering when it comes to cash flow. So is, is, is postponement the last resort? Like it, it, it would have, I would have thought it be the first, um, but it seems like if, if people are losing money from postponements, plus there's a potential clash with, you know, more events uh, along the line, is it rather just cancel it? Hmm. 
You're putting yourself at risk uh, on cancelling entirely, entirely because you will then not have guaranteed rates. I mean, obviously, this is, the commercials are down to every property and every contract. But if you have a venue offering for you to postpone within one year, two years, as we've seen um, with some, and they keep the rates, that's you're better off that way than you are cancelling and then having to pay the rates that they then quote you at the time of booking. Um, going to Pat's point, again, HBA looking at it, we're is a key point for us um, you know being paid commissions um, on deposits you know if that venue has that money and they're benefiting from that money sitting in their account then also the agent for having done the work and secured that payment into that venue whether directly or via client should also benefit at time of booking time of deposit deposit payment so those are things that we're starting to advocate to say that we're all in this together and this shouldn't be one sits back and suffers while the other one can sit comfortably knowing it's been rebooked they've got all the funds to keep hold of this has to be coming together working together so we all survive so that's my point for Pat we 100% agree that and we're going to advocate changing that but I do genuinely think postponement is the way forward if you want to secure your rates and to guarantee dates because people are going to start wanting to book when we kind of explode into we can do this and there's going to be no dates free especially all these big events that are going on I'm going to sit back and watch with popcorn as soon as you know every big sporting event and every big event suddenly goes we have to do it this year but three times the amount of events have to happen it's going to be interesting um but yeah that's that's my point <laughs> and obviously Miko's point I heard that <laughs> yeah um I, I keep meeting myself um it's very difficult when you're a moderator um but uh you just mentioned there about the um the rates and you know what do we think the expectations are going to be for rates do we think that venues and hotels um and travel and everything is going to be cheaper to encourage you know movement uh, and you know a, a resurrection of the industry or you know is this going to be kind of yields according to demand like what are your predictions there so maybe start with you sean um, I think you'd have to break that down into segments, I think, because I think there'll be a different rate structure for transient corporate rates versus meeting rates and things like that. I, from talking we, talking to suppliers and things, I think we're hoping that we can hope for a rate hold on accommodation, at least for quarter one and quarter two next year. So transient corporate rates will just roll over. The, the other benefit for that is, I don't know who, I'm talking Intel as well, who is going to be ready for an RFP season this year on transient corporate rates? We have thousands. And I'm going to tell you now, I don't know if we're going to have time to renegotiate them all. So the best thing for us from a resource perspective would be just to hold over and then see what happens with the market. The worst thing that could happen is really a, a, a rate drop across the board. And we've seen it before and we saw it in the past two recessions. There were certain industries that expected it there were certain chains and venues that literally dropped their trousers across and then they spanner the market for everybody so my plea I guess is please don't do that this time we don't need to if we all hold out and I'm not saying we collude the market but I think rates can hold I think there is strength there and I think we just need to be confident that we we can sell that in meetings and events I think they're gonna have to be a little bit more competitive that I think there might be a drop there if I'm honest to start the market going but please don't drop really low because we will take years to years and years 
Sorry. It's interesting um, also because, um, and I agree absolutely, Sean, I totally agree. And I remember that group that dropped its knickers, uh, the day delegate rates at £19, mm-hmm. um, including that. Um, I had a conversation with somebody, uh, a well-known group of five-star hotels last week. And obviously most of the hotels reopened on July the 4th. And they said to me, for July, and this is more leisure, I agree, but for July and August, they are busier now than they were this time last year. They are packed out, five star. Um, and I was looking for some accommodation for somebody yesterday. Um, and again, it was a, a, a top end and the rates are holding. And those type of hotels have held out their rates through every single recession. They've never dropped. Um, they've kept strong and they've kept business. And it's when the rates are, you know, when we need to get, bums in beds quite literally and the rates go down it's so hard to recover and I'm seeing ridiculous rates in London at the moment and I just think please don't and to to Chris's point I've just seen on the chat I think that's why I said in meetings and events I think it's going to be going to be different I think that the hotels have got to make up space because their occupancy is not going to be what it was and they've got to work out their revenue strategies and I know a lot of a lot of them are doing it now but so I do think we will see a dip but I don't think it'll be a dip in the same way as it was before and I think it will come back up relatively quickly once people have got confidence to come back and that that's the word we keep coming back to it's the c word but not the c word we all don't like to talk about in our industry it's the confidence word that we should be talking about I think because that's going to be key to everything yeah Jane Jane raised the point as well about sort of um uh, the minimum numbers of rooms um so you know historically you, you you booked an event and you have to book a certain amount of rooms obviously with the kind of environment that we're in now a lot of people don't want to stay uh they, they don't want to stay in rooms do you see that potentially changing uh with hotels that are also venues yeah, I think so. I think they'll look at their they'll look at their segments and what the amount of rooms they used to give to leisure, used to give to business travel, used to give to events. That will just pivot. And the the, the smart venues, and I'm sure the people on this watching this are already doing it, of looking at how you optimize the revenue, but from different market segments that you had than you had before. Hmm. That's 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 how you pivot. Yeah, having a minimum number of bedrooms for an event where now the event capacity has shrunk. So, you know, their maximum capacities have been relaunched as minimum. They're having to reduce their minimum number of rooms to match that or even be a bit lower. They're going to have to pivot on then saying, OK, I've got all this bed stock. I'm going to have, as Sean said, I'm going to have to now pivot to transient or leisure um, and that and put some marketing budget and resource into you know filling those beds with different markets. Um, they shouldn't just now rely on um, us to fill their hotels because we've taken a ballroom downstairs, for example. Um, so they'll change. You know, it's not like they don't know what they're doing. Um, it's just going to be new tactics. Yeah, so we're, we're basically running out of time, uh, or have run out of time, in fact. Um, but I think uh, Maria's point just there as well kind of echoes a lot of the things that we've been talking about and and what the HBA are trying to do as well. And it's just basically working collaboratively as an industry. Every single uh, part of, of, of the, the machine needs to kind of come together and try to, you know, make sure that everything is mutually beneficial, whether it's contracts, uh, whether it's rates, um, whether it's the the events itself um, and and making sure that we can kind of bring that all together. If uh, if you are a MySpook supplier or a buyer, then please head over to the networking now. Um, and uh, at five fifteen, there will be a wrap up 
uh, as well, um, after which there'll be some virtual bars. And I saw a few people talk about gins. Uh, so there you go. That will keep them happy. But uh, in the meantime, thank you so much, Sean, Lex and Angie. It's been an absolute pleasure. There was also some, some random additions in there as well. So also thanks for jumping in <laughs> on occasion. Uh, and thank you to Miko and Mika and the dog as well. I mean, all the pets that got involved, it was, it was fantastic. So uh, thank you so much. We really hope you enjoyed those talks and if so please rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. To see what the next discussions are please go to mustbeonit.com and click on talks in the menu bar. To contact MiceBook please email us at info at or follow us on Instagram and Twitter.